Thanks, Mary. Um, my name's Mike. You said I have to speak on time. Does that mean like to a certain rhythm? Or for a certain amount of time? Untimed. <laughs> okay. Okay, then I will try to keep it a little interesting and deviate from iambic pentameter as much as I can. Anyway, my name's Mike. Um, I'm an alcoholic. I'm an addict. I could identify as a lot of different things. It's a it's a fun thing to play around with that. And sometimes I've said I'm uh, self-diagnosed with alcohol use disorder, um, but it appears to be in remission. And um, dipsomania is my thing, you know. Um, uh, anyway, uh, I think I like personal recovery. You know, that sounds good, too. You know, I didn't have any any uh, problem admitting I was an alcoholic. And when I came into AA, I mean, I was proud to be an alcoholic. I was like, you know, yeah, Hemingway, great artists and all that. I was the next Dylan and the next Lennon in my mind. And, um, you know, uh, that would spark creativity and stuff like that. So it was just a matter of when did I want to stop doing this? So I'm assuming my audio is good as well because I haven't uh, seen any uh, negative reactions. <clears throat> I'm just getting over a bit of a cold and stuff. So I'll try to uh, keep the throat clearing to a minimum. Uh, I wanted to start with a, um, a couple of uh, quotes that I like to read now and again. Um, and I think probably many of you are, are familiar with them. Um, there's a, a wonderful... Um, free thinker site uh, resource called AA Agnostica. It's been around for a long time. And one of the things that they have there is some great quotes that, you know, Bill W. and, you know, a few others had that are basically about being inclusive. And uh, one of the ones that I wanted to <clears throat> share is this one here from a grapevine article called Anarchy Melts. In 1946, so long as there is the slightest interest in sobriety, the most unmoral, the most antisocial, the most critical alcoholic may gather about him a few kindred spirits and announce to us that a new Alcoholics Anonymous group has been formed, anti-God, anti-medicine, anti-our recovery program, even anti-each other. These rampant individuals are still an AA group if they think so. That's freedom. I love it. Um Another uh, one that I like is, um, and this really surprises a lot of folks in, in, um, in traditional meetings. This is from the General Service Conference in 1953. Do you think we should tell those people, you can't belong to an Alcoholics Anonymous unless you print those 12 steps the way we have them? No, we even have a tradition that guarantees the right of any group to vary all of them if they want to. Let's remember, we are talking about suggested steps and traditions. Some people didn't get the memo. And um, this last one I'll read. And it's from the book, Our Great Responsibility. This is one of the great ones. I have a home group that doesn't allow um, non, well, they call it non-AA approved, but really it's non-conference approved literature to be read in their meetings. Because a friend of mine, uh, anarchist Dan, read um, uh, the Jeffrey Munn, 
steps and said, you know, these are pretty good. And like, you know, people were clutching their pearls. So um, this is a selection of Bill W's general service conference talks, and it is conference approved. And in there you will find this little tidbit, which is at the beginning. Um, there's this one great pamphlet called Many Paths to Spirituality. You've probably seen it. And then there's another one called The God Word, which was around in the UK, but you couldn't get it here in the US until very recently. Um, and between those two, you, you get this information, but it's from the Toronto International Convention from 1965, which I think is the same one that came up with the responsibility statement. So this is what Bill says, and he said it more than once. It is an historical fact that practically all groupings of men and women tend to become more dogmatic. Their beliefs and practices harden and sometimes freeze. This is a natural and almost inevitable process. All people must, of course, rally to the call of their convictions, and we of AA are no exception. Moreover, all people should have the right to voice their convictions. This is good principle and good dogma. But dogma also has its liabilities. Simply because we have convictions that work well for us, it becomes very easy to assume that we have all the truth. Wherever this brand of arrogance develops, we are certain to become aggressive. We demand agreement with us. We play God. This isn't good dogma. It's very bad dogma. It could be especially destructive for us of AA to indulge in this sort of thing. Newcomers are approaching AA at the rate of tens of thousands yearly. They represent almost every belief and attitude imaginable. We have atheists and agnostics. We have people of nearly every race, culture, and religion. In AA, we are supposed to be bound together in the kinship of a common suffering. Consequently, the full individual liberty to practice any creed or principle or therapy, whatever, should be a first consideration for us all. Let us not, therefore, pressure anyone with our individual or even our collective views. Let us instead accord each other the respect and love that is due to every human being as he tries to make his way toward the light. Let us always try to be inclusive rather than exclusive. Let us remember that each alcoholic among us is a member of AA as long as he or she so declares. I am glad I got that out of the way. A lot of folks, you know, don't know that Bill was, you know, pretty, pretty liberal in, in, in some ways, at least in some of the writings, you know, but um, I'm wasting time. So let me get to the story. Uh, the reason why I read that actually is, is because even amongst us free thinkers and all that, you know, we may not have that ammunition to, to give to other folks. And I just think that, you know, hopefully that was helpful for some folks. And um, I can point towards where those quotes are, are from as well um, in the chat later on. So I was born in L.A. in uh, 1962, November. And um, my parents are from Buffalo in southern Ontario. Um, they moved back there, took me along with them, of course, when I was about five. Some of my earliest memories are of being... Um, sensitive my dad was kind of angry a lot and uh, a little sort of verbally and emotionally abusive um these days i call it toxic <laughs> and um so i i consequently grew up forming attitudes thoughts and opinions that had things along the line of not making him angry 
Um, <clears throat> so I never really felt as though I was able to be my true self, whatever that is, if it even exists, I felt squelched. Uh, in kindergarten, I remember they called me Mr. Nobody because I was so shy. Um, fast forward a few years, I grew up in Buffalo, nice place to bring up a family. And, um, I wanted to, I was, I wanted to be a good boy. I have a sister. Um, she's two years younger than me. And also she is dead. She died a couple years ago of ovarian cancer. Um, I and she were both adopted. Now, that's an interesting point, because what it means is that I'm not related to anybody in my family, which is fucking awesome, because, quite frankly, they are dull and uninteresting. I love them dearly, but I am glad that I am not of their ilk. So I like to hang out with people that are interesting. That's just me. Um, now... I wanted to be a good boy. I wanted to do the right thing. Um, I was brought up Jewish, but a pretty uh, reformed, so not very religious. Um, and uh, but I did go to synagogue, and and um, I did um, go to my cousin's bar mitzvah, and I had a bar mitzvah. And I do remember that um, probably my first drink of alcohol was at one of those where they had all the glasses of wine just sitting there, um, Manischewitz. I remember drinking a bunch of them and then, you know, sliding down the hallway on my slippery sliding shoes and having fun as a, you know, preteen or whatever. Feeling that warm buzz, but it wasn't anything about killing pain. Interestingly enough, I, I lived pretty much on MD 2020 and Fritos uh, for a period of six months, uh, a few years later. Now, um, I hung out with some dudes and, you know, we drank a couple of beers here and there. We, we smoked a couple of cigarettes, you know, um, it was risque, you know, but nothing, nothing strange. But once I was about 14, 15, you know, my sister had already started partying. That's what we called it, smoking dope. And, um, most people I knew did, you know, and there was the people in your, middle or high school, you know, there's the, the smokers, the, the jocks, the, you know, the nerds, the, this, that, and the other. Um, I didn't know where I fit in really, but uh, I was one of the last ones that, that, that I knew of, you know, I, I held out, I held out because drugs are bad for you. Right. And I didn't want to do that. Um, and I kind of felt that sort of like it would, it would make my mom sad, you know? Um, now, my dad, you know, who, who is a stiff prick, make no mistake about it. Um, he pissed me off one night again by, you know, saying whatever and not understanding whatever. And, uh, anyway, I, the, the night before I had been with my cousins and we, we, they smoked, but I didn't, I, I was holding out. But then that night I was like, Oh yeah, fuck him. And, uh, so I decided to go to the dark side. And um, that was where I felt that key that unlocked the, the secrets of the universe for me. The warm, cozy, snug feeling that I had <laughs> was 
it felt like something fit into place. And because I'm wired a little differently, a bit neurodivergent, um, when I get into something, I really fucking get into it. So then I was into dope and I was into turning all my friends on to it um, who were previously innocent like me. Um, and I used to smoke alone because more for me and it became a tool to make it through the day. And uh, it was only after, <clears throat> I mean, alcohol was, you know, more ubiquitous and more legal and stuff like that, that I, you know, I was, I started to drink, but it wasn't something that I really was that interested in initially. But um, <clears throat> eventually I became known as the pharmacist in high school because um, I had a, uh, PDR physician's desk reference that my parents had. And, uh, so I was able to know a lot about all these different, you know, uppers and downers and stuff like that. You know, there was a lot of Valium, you know, mother's little helper and stuff like that going on at the time. And me and my cousin used to take a bunch and, and um, sort of disappear for hours and not remember where we were and, you know, coming home from, uh, you know, with big barrels full of dirt for some reason. And, you know, just stuff like that. Um, I got arrested a few times for things like trespass and, you know, just being in the wrong place at the, at the right time and all that kind of stuff. Nothing major. Spent some nights in drunk tanks. Um, when I um, got out of high school, I graduated and I went to college. Um, my grade point average, I think, was a 0.75 the first semester. And uh, it was a college in Ohio called Kenyon College. This is an awesome place. Um, and, uh, but, um, they told me to get it up to a two and I could stay, but I got it up to a 1.9, you know, I really tried hard, but I was more interested in, you know, partying and, and drinking and tripping really. Once I discovered LSD, that was the fucking bomb. That was some shit that, that really made a difference. And to this day, I would say the same thing. <clears throat> I don't need to do it anymore because I saw what I needed to see. And what I saw was that things are not what they seem. That's really all you need to know. Because, you know, I thought for a long time that there was a, there was a way that they are that I could discover, you know, through hallucinogens or through, you know, sensory deprivation tanks or whatever, you know. Um, I had this theory that if a person was born into a sensory deprivation tank with no sensory input could they have a thought how could they have a thought i love conundrums like that but this is where my mind was as i was walking down the road smoking dope and hitchhiking and drinking beer and whatnot and having fun um but um one of the one of the things that happened um in and it was, I was still in high school on hallucinogens was I, um, I became dis and to me, this is the most important thing. You know, it's, it's great seeing all the shit and, you know, breathing curtains and you know, all this kind of stuff, the visuals and all that. Um, but, um, when I became unhinged from, um, my place in space and time and identity, so I'm just walking down the street and I'm looking and I'm, I'm visually seeing the street, but then I'm like, 
I totally lost track of who I was, where I was, and when ever I was. And so, and it was brilliant. And then it came sort of floating back in after a few seconds. But what I took away from that is that, um, and, and I think about things like dementia as well and stuff like that. Our grasp on our identity is so fucking tenuous that it almost doesn't exist. It's probably a fucking illusion as far as I'm concerned. Very pervasive one. Um, so I go with it, right? Um, but I also realize that, you know, it's tenuous. I'll come back to that. Maybe I won't. I don't know. Anyway, I, I joined the Navy because I kind of ran out of options, fucked up college a few times. Um, all my friends were sort of, you know, graduating and doing this, that, and the other. I joined the Navy. I got kicked out of the Navy after nine months drinking, uh, which actually I still am pretty proud of um, because that is a feat. And uh, I was on antabuse and drinking on antabuse and trying that, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, ultimately I went to where my parents were then, which is in Virginia beach. I was 24, I think this is an 87, went to some AA meetings again, went to AA in, um, in the Navy. And I also went to an AA meeting in 1983 when I was 21, because I had just lost a job and I thought to myself, you know, uh, these are friendly people. Um, I didn't have an issue with the God thing. I don't even know if I knew, even realized it. I took the test uh, in the pamphlet, aced it, and I figured I'll be back. Um, I think I have a few good runs in me. And so I did. But um, when I ended up uh, getting sober for a little while, maybe three months, I think, I was hitting maybe a meeting a week. Um, maybe two, um, didn't have a sponsor, uh, had a big book and a 12 and 12, I think. Um, and, um, I was a telemarketer and I met this chick on the phone and, um, she seemed nice. And so we sort of made a date. And, um, after a couple of times, I'm like, I don't know how to be with somebody without being drunk. So I had a, a big glass of beer, you know, one night and then like, the next weekend, you know, another one, you know, and then a couple weekends later, my sister came down to visit Fourth of July weekend, and I was off and running for the next six months. She kicked my ass out. I was so sad because I would have married her. And uh, it was better for both of us that that didn't happen. Um, but you know how it is when your heart is broken. <clears throat> so. And the alcohol wasn't working. So I thought, well, I guess I best get my ass back to AA. And I did. And um, this time, you know, the same people I went and they, they looked and they, they welcomed me back. And they were happy to see me. And um, that was an interesting feeling. Because at first I thought that, you know, these were the folks that I go there and they're there. And then when I leave, they all go out and get drunk. The joke's on me. You know, that's what I fucking thought, you know. <laughs> I don't know why, but, it, you know, anyway. So I decided to, to immerse myself in the program. And I, I hung out with this uh, sort of a club place where they had a bunch of meetings. And I 
uh, did meetings before the meetings and meetings after the meetings. And uh, we started a clean and sober coffee house. And uh, it was, you know, I read all the, the history books at that time, you know, and I got a sponsor and he was enthusiastic. He was a musician as well. And, um, you know, the, uh, there was a lot of, you know, uh, the new age stuff going around at that point in time. And Codependence Anonymous was getting big at that time. This is in the late 80s. And um, so uh, I just availed myself of all these different programs and Little Al and uh, and um, stuff like that. And uh, it it worked for me. And the AA that I did was a traditional AA. And it worked for me. I realize now what I, I needed those guardrails or I don't know if I needed them. That's what I fucking had. So it worked, right? Um, now my, my opinion is this AA is perfect. It's only people that fuck it up. So there's really no dogma, you know, there's a big book. You don't have to read it. There's a, you know, 12 steps and 12 traditions. There's suggestions to me. What AA really is, is the fellowship and, um, and the traditions I love to, to give this test to people. Um, if you had to do away with the steps or the traditions, what would you do away with? Um, just keep that to yourself. Anyway. Um, so there was a period a couple weeks in where I was feeling a jumble of emotions and I, I was having a hard time, you know, staying sober, you know, not craving, I guess is what I would say. I, um, I went out to the back of the place where I worked, sat down, had a cigarette and, um, and I prayed to a God that I wasn't sure was there or not. I, I asked about, you know, this thing about taking away the compulsion to drink. I've heard that's a thing. Can you do it? Um, if you're there. And I said, I don't care. Um, and, this is what I think is interesting too, is, you know, a lot of people do their, you know, toilet bowl prayers or whatever, where they say, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, if you do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. But for me, the way that I phrased it was, I don't care if I never, I don't care if I never get laid. I don't care if I have to give up guitar. I don't, you know, I was willing to sacrifice some things. And I think that made a difference. Now, within a couple of weeks, it seemed like that was the case. The compulsion was removed. Now I was immersing myself in the program, of course, and doing all these positive things. And at the time, of course, not knowing any better, I attributed it to my higher power, taking that away. I attribute it now to me passing a certain threshold of willingness and desperation within myself that tipped the scales that way. And, um, and because I immersed myself, it was reinforced and I was in a pretty good position for, for a while. Now, within a year, um, I started to feel all these emotions because I've heard people say this and who knows if it's true, but it's an interesting thing to say for every year you drank, it takes a month for the anesthetic to wear off and for you to really start, you know, feeling again i'm like okay you know that's probably not true 
for anybody or everybody, but maybe some people. And it seemed pretty close for me. But at any rate, I started feeling these feelings. I didn't know what the fuck to do with them. Um, and uh, I went to a rehab at a year sober, the same place my sponsor and his sponsor went to, which is a place in Montreal that was north of Montreal called Le Pavillon. And um, we did the 12 steps again. And um, it was um, also a little new agey kind of unity type stuff as well, kind of mixed in there. And um, so it was, it was pretty cool. And it, and it gave me a boost charge and it was fantastic. Met a girl in the program, got married, had kids, went to Bermuda. Um, AA there is pretty good. Went to um, back to Virginia Beach, then to England. AA there is pretty good too. And then uh, back to Virginia Beach, I, I got a job and moved to Atlanta. So I'm, I'm doing the family thing. Oh, here's another interesting thing. Part of what I thought was that, you know, if there's a right religion, if there's a God and if there's a right religion, I want to find out what it is so that I can, you know, do it because I want to be a good boy. I want to do the right thing. And um, I love the Homer Sim Simpson line where Marge is asking him to go to church and he says, well, what if we pick the wrong religion? We're just making God matter every week. And, uh, that was kind of how my thinking was. Um, so I thought that there was a way that the world works that I'm supposed to find out. And that's what my duty is as a, as a man, as a husband, as a protector of my flock and stuff like that. Um, and just as a person to, you know, and I'm not saying that that's not true in, in, a, in a sense, but for me, I latch on to these things and these ideas where there's a sort of black and white aspect to them. That's how I traditionally thought. And, you know, after years and gaining wisdom and this and, and a bunch of tragedies, I realized it's like, fuck, shit ain't black and white. There is no black and white. Um, I used to say it was all gray, but I thought, no, no. How about black, white, every color of the rainbow? Yeah, I like that. That's better. Okay. Um, so perspectives changing, you know, and that's the key to where my sobriety is today is changing perspectives. And I'll get into that momentarily. Moving into more sobriety. Um, so I was doing a sort of new age kind of, um, you know, a lot of the folks in early AA reading Emmett Fox Sermon on the Mount and stuff like that. It's a sort of a new thought, you know, science of mind kind of thing. You know, where, you know, Jesus Christ is Christ consciousness, if not, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And it was palatable for me and it was working. But through the years, I used to get picked up by uh, born-in Christians. And um, I met a few in my life. Uh, and, you know, they would throw John 3.16 at me, which is for he so loved the world, that blah, 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 he gave his only begotten son. And I was like, you know, to us Jews, that's fucking weird because we deal with, you know, the CEO What's this middle management bullshit, right? Um, but then I thought to myself, time and time again, it's like, fuck, wars have been fought over this shit. Either a third of the planet is fucking nuts, or maybe they have somewhere. Maybe I should give it a go. And I was in a place in England at that point in time, a little vulnerable, away from home, and um, maybe having marriage problems. 
and a little desperate. And you know how it is when you're desperate, you go for these things. And I went for it for 15 fucking years. I did. But I always kept a skeptical mind. So part of that whole deal is apologetics where you defend the faith. And so I know all about that stuff with the various types of, you know, Messianic Jewish Christianity and this, that, the other. That's where I was at, man. <clears throat> and why the, you know, Protestants don't like the Catholics and they don't like the saints and, you know, blah, 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 blah. I was fascinated by that from an anthropological perspective anyway. You know, so here I was in it, doing it, right? And uh, fast forward, um, at 20 years sober, my daughter, Rachel, committed suicide. And, uh, you know, I was... I wasn't going to a lot of meetings, like hardly any meetings by that time. After about 10 years, I was like, this shit is fucking stale, you know? Um, <clears throat> this is traditional AA, right? So I'm hearing the same thing, you know? And I got a family, and I'm going to church. I'm doing service there. And I'm doing scouts, and I'm doing soccer and, and all this stuff. So I figured I had all the boxes ticked, and, um, you know, and, and, and life was good. But um, when Rachel was 14, she started behaving weirdly didn't know if it was teenage angst or what but it was probably bipolar and schizophrenia you know um but at any rate one thing about rachel is she was very good at everything she did so there you go um grief is a bitch only one way to go through it and that's to go through it you know one bite at a time um so i i looked around and knew that there was support groups for this kind of thing called up a place in Atlanta called the link and um, survivors of suicide and the compassionate friends for folks who've lost a child. Um, you know, so me and Julie were going to these groups and doing the same thing that we do here. And um, the kinship of common suffering, you know, that works here. It's a universal thing. It's about the human condition. You know, it doesn't matter what, you know, suffering you've gone through. There are others who have and who can help you. And then when you have, you can help others. That That's fucking magic if there's anything that's magic. And I don't believe in magic, but I'll use the term loosely. <clears throat> that, is, that is some good shit. Um, and that's what keeps us knitted together in some sort of way, perhaps, right? Um, but uh, so... I knew drinking wasn't an option. I wasn't interested in drinking. I knew it would make things worse. I had to be there for, for um, Julie and my son, Zach. Um, so, you know, we had a tough time. And when Zach started, you know, getting weird, that was fucking weird and scary. You know, we hadn't for the same, you know, so they've both been to Ridgeview a couple of times, which is, a, you know, sort of a little mental health rehab place. Kids these days have it so fucking tough, man. It's fucking crazy. Anyway. I don't want to digress. Where am I going with this? Shit happens. You know, you're sober long enough. Shit happens. At about 30 years sober, um, I got divorced. And uh, I didn't see that coming. Um, but, you know, looking back on it, I'm like, that was actually a good thing. Because I 
wasn't able to be fully autonomous within the context of a marriage. There was no way that I could know that while I was in the marriage. But as a result of that and going through the grief of that, you know, so the, the two worst things that they say can happen to you have happened to me. And um, so now the rest of it is a fucking cakewalk. You know, that's the way I look at life now. Um, on the 18th of this month, it was 36 years for me of continuous sobriety. And uh, the reason why, and it's, it's fucking easy now, it's because I'm, I think, not a person who needs to drink. You know, I ask myself, you know, well, what is it about this program that works? I mean, there's a lot of different things. Um, but I keep getting down to the fact that I have changed. And what does that mean? Is there an I to change? I don't know. Um, but the way that I think, the way that I behave, what I believe, these things have changed. And <clears throat> I think what happens is, you know, when, when you do a fourth step and you, you know, I did it um, like in the book, writing it in the columns and all that. And I think that's a useful way of doing it. Um, it made me see um, where I had contributed to. It made me see that me and everyone around me were um, were broken shopping carts, um, you know, with that wobbly wheel and then we were just bumping into each other. It was really what the fuck was going on, you know? And when it talks about instincts going awry, I related to that. My four step was not a moral inventory in any way, shape or form. It was a, it was a, um, it was a data gathering exercise. And uh, that was the way my sponsor put it. And it was fucking brilliant because it had nothing to do with about, you know, me doing bad shit, eh, you know? Yeah. I was a fucking drunk, you know? My brain was hijacked. You know, that wasn't me that would have done that shit. Fuck no, you know? So, you know, look, I know that this shit happened in 1939 and Bill came up with the steps. And I think they're fucking brilliant, you know, for when they were done, it, that was the best that they had. And now we got all kinds of ways. And Bill himself said, you know, vary them if you, if you like. I love that, you know. So I think the change that needed to happen, the mechanism was the steps for me. Now, there's all other kinds of mechanisms. Uh, you know, recovery dharma using the eightfold path. Very fucking cool. Um, there's even a quote that's on AA Agnostica that where I got all those other ones from that uh, talks about a pamphlet in Akron in 1940 that apparently Dr. Bob approved that said, you know, Christian life has no monopoly on, on uh, um, you know, on, on recovery or some sort of thing like that. It said, you know, the, the Buddhists have the eightfold path, you know, right thinking, right, uh, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, that that could be used as a, a supplement or even, um, you know, replacement for the 12 steps. So for me, it is about the, the changing. So what do I think about that now? I think of it as keeping the beginner's mind. I used to think that there was a way that had to be understood that the way the world worked and all that kind of thing. And um, I, no, I no longer think that that 
I should have known from the hallucinogens anyway that that's not attainable. Nobody can fucking know that. Reality is changing every minute, and everyone's seeing it differently and definitely remembering it differently. So who gives a fuck? All I got to do is be here now. That's all I got to do. Just be here now and be kind. So I think also being 61 helps. You know, you go through some shit. Um, you live enough life and you don't have, you don't worry so much about uh, what people think of you and stuff like that, you know? Um, but I got to tell you though, this the divorce where I was able to do the self-autonomy, I was able to figure out who I am outside of the context of a marriage because, you know, I got married young and you know, fairly freshly sober. So here I am doing this shit, filling my, my house with fucking instruments, walking around in my underwear. And, um, it's beautiful, um, doing what the fuck I want. And, uh, and then realizing that like, you know what? I don't do toxic people. Um, to be authentic is the best thing that I can do for myself. Well, what the fuck is that? How do I do that? I just do the next thing that I want to do. That's a start. And then I, I basically figure out what it is that I like, what it is that I don't like. One thing that happened too after after the divorce and, and after Rachel was basically I had the rug pulled out from under me. All, everything that I thought I knew about how the world worked and all that, it was like fucking, I don't fucking know. So it occurred to me that what I could do is I could just strip the motherfucker down and start from scratch with what I believe and what I know piece by piece. So what did I do? I said, well, I don't want to drink. Okay. And that's, that was it for a while. But any of these things about how I should be a good son or this or that, um, all of these beliefs about, you know, these social conventions and stuff like that. I mean, <clears throat> shit, I was, I was a rebel when I was a teenager, but you know, that was rebelling against what, what was now I'm not rebelling. I'm just not accepting. I'm rejecting. I'm, I'm just, there's nothing to fight. You know, it's just simply, huh, this is the way people think that, da, 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 da. Oh, you know, after, uh, you can't wear white after, you know, autumn, you know, when autumn comes or whatever the fuck, you know, this bullshit, um, what it is that, a, you know, a proper son does or, well, it's, it's family, so you got to, you know, all these things um, about ideas about myself and who I am and what I'm worth and what makes me worth something. All of these things, I just fucking shit canned them all. And I created my fucking own. I realized that everybody is making it up as they go along um, or they're accepting whatever is given to them. Actually, most of them are doing that. But those who aren't doing that are making it up as they're going along anyway. And they're just sort of shifting from this and that. And they're, you know, they're shucking and they're jiving and all that kind of stuff. And they're trying to do the best they can. Okay. A couple of things I want to say. Um, the three shits philosophy. Um, it's not trademarked yet, so don't fucking steal it. But, um, 
uh, I have a three shits philosophy where basically I don't know shit. I don't know shit. I get to this place where I realize I don't know shit. And the corollary, I suppose, to that is I don't need to know shit. I do not need to know shit. If I, if I ever do need to know something, that's at any given moment, right? I can Google it. Yeah, I can find someone who does know. So there's a lot of brain cells that are freed up that I don't have to know all that shit. Um, I don't have to, to cling to that shit. So I don't have to know shit. I don't know shit. Um, I don't believe shit. That's another thing too. I, I, uh, have, I have no beliefs. I re have rejected any sorts of beliefs um, about how the world works or anything like that. I don't believe in love. I don't believe in a deity. I don't, I, I, I'm asking myself, why do I need to? What the fuck is that all about? Who says I need to? That's fucking weird. It's not something I would have come up with, you know? Belief? What? Faith? Maybe that's an interesting word. What is faith? Uh, faith that you'll, you know, pay me back five bucks or something like that? I don't know. Faith, belief, these are interesting words. Different conversation, though. Um, so I don't believe shit. I don't, I don't hold a position on any particular um, subject whatsoever. Um, I'm almost like a, an alien that is watching the human race, you know, and observing. And the last is that I don't give a shit. And um, I mean, pretty much. So, uh, you know, if someone says something to me or someone, did, yeah, did, I'm like, okay. It says everything about them and nothing about me. And their perception of me is their perception of me. You know, when I realized that all these fucking perceptions, everyone, all these people are talking, we're all talking to each other. And, and we're pretty sure we understand what we're saying, but we're all coming away with something different, you know? So that, that eases my mind. I don't have to give a shit about that, you know? Um, and the last thing I'll say is this. Uh, self-esteem is important. How do I, how do I gain self-esteem? Because a lot of us have low self-esteem. And um, for me, well, doing esteemable actions, that was, that was certainly important, especially in early sobriety. And the other thing I think is of being true to myself and being my authentic self. So I do a level set, you know, when I, when I think about all these people who think they're all bad and all this, that, and the other, um, really, I visualize this all. It's similar to visualizing people in their underwear doing public speaking. We are all toddlers on a playground and we have all shat our pants and we all want our mommy. And some people are just better at hiding it than others. And so whew, that's cool. Everybody's making it fucking up, man. I might as well make up my own shit and fucking be proud of it. You know what I'm saying? And just hang out with other people who are also autonomous, who also, you know, we don't have expectations. You know, it's all good. You do you, I'll do me. We'll, we'll be positive with each other. No fucking toxicity, man, you know? And um, 
you know, but hey, some of us have mental illness. Some of us go off a little bit. You know, I get that. So maybe for a little while, arm's length. But I still love. I still love, you know. Um, we're all part of this kinship of common suffering here as we're trying to make our way through life. And it's really about the human condition, you know. Um, trying to think of if there was anything else that I wanted to say, but I want to I want to leave a little bit of time anyway so that people uh, can tell me how wonderful I am. That is all. <laughs>